It's precisely one thirty. One thirty, and all is apparently well. It's the suggestion of Spike Robinson that you drive with caution this morning. You see, his life may depend on it. A message of safety from Spike Robinson and from WYMS, your Milwaukee Public Schools radio station, swinging from the heart of the city. Speaking of Spike Robinson, the wonderful Lestorian tenor saxophone player from Kenosha and the world, he will be in the cellar, in the jazz cellar, today, Saturday, at 12.30, to shake hands and exchange smiles, and perhaps uh, inspire. Spike Robinson, the wonderful tenor player, in the cellar this afternoon, in the jazz cellar this afternoon at 12.30. Ron Kuzner is my name. This is the dark side, the dark side of Saturday, the 6th of February, 19... 93. A change of pace.
April of 1959, Callan Radcliffe Jader Jr. and Doxy. Lonnie Hewitt, the piano player, Al McKibben, the bass player, the drummer Willie Bobo, the percussionist Mongo Santa Maria, with Paul Horn playing the flute, Cal Jater and Doxy, recorded in Monterey, California, in April of 1959. And you can't hardly get much more classical than that. Nineteen minutes now, in front of the hour. This is The Dark Side. A program designed for and directed at those individuals who, for one reason or another, dig the darkness. This is The Dark Side. Of Saturday, the 6th of February, 1993. This is WYMS.
Cal Jeter at the Black Hawk in San Francisco in January of 1957. Miles had not yet recorded at the Black Hawk. Jeter with Vince Garaldi at the piano. Jeter with Eugene Wright, Senator Eugene Wright, playing the bass and with Al Torre playing the drums. Callan Radcliffe Jeter Jr. at the Black Hawk in 57 and Bill B. 11 minutes now in front of the hour. 11 minutes now in front of the news. This, of course, is WYMS swinging from the heart of the city.
Jader in Monterey in April of 1959, walking with Wally. Ron Kuzner is my name. This is The Dark Side. This is WYMS Radio in Milwaukee. AP Network News. Good morning. I'm Larry Brown. Washington lawyer Charles Ruff and former Virginia Governor Gerald Belisles are said to be on President Clinton's shortlist for Attorney General, now even shorter because of a dropout. Federal Judge Kimba Wood said by senior Clinton administration officials to be the president's near certain choice for the job, pulled out of contention last night after acknowledging that she'd once hired an illegal alien as a babysitter. Judge Wood says it was not illegal at the time, but decided that going ahead with the nomination process would have been inappropriate. One official says she was asked to step aside. The White House, still smarting from the Zoe Baird slip-up, stresses that the screening process this time worked. And American University political analyst Alan Lichtman thinks the president won't be hurt by this latest setback. I think it has done some short-term damage, but I think the media, which has to write a story every day, and nowadays virtually writes a story on the hour, over-exaggerates the ups and downs of the presidency. Bill Clinton will not be judged on uh, his, his problems with finding an attorney general. He will be judged on his ability to solve the big problems facing the country. And the White House also confirms a New York Times report this morning. The judge would, in her student days in the 1960s, tried out for a bunny job at the London Playboy Club, but quit. And an official says that uh, that bit of background history was judged irrelevant in her consideration for attorney general. President Clinton says he's still studying what the U.S. should do to stop the war in Bosnia. And for now, he is not endorsing a U.N.-European peace plan. Bosnian Serbs don't like it either. They're demanding more territory. A spokesman for U.N. mediators in New York says talks this weekend are a final negotiating effort before seeking possible intervention by the Security Council. A half-dozen or so fishermen are spending a chilly night on the ice in Michigan's Saginaw Bay, among scores who got trapped Friday night on ice flows carved out by sudden high winds. Coast Guard Petty Officer Terry Rice says rescue helicopters were sent out, but those same winds pushed the flows back toward shore, and most of the fishermen had walked out by the time the choppers arrived. Approximately 70 people did come off the ice, um, mainly self-help. Uh, we did have three persons in the water. Uh, one was rescued by a fire department with a hovercraft, and the other two got out with self-help. This is AP Network News. In Seattle, a gay petty officer has filed suit to stop the Navy from discharging him. Mark Phillips' lawsuit claims that going ahead with the proceedings while President Clinton weighs an end to the gay ban violates his constitutional rights. In San Francisco, correspondent Larry Brunell reports a coalition of blacks, Asians, and Latinos has begun a letter-writing campaign on behalf of gays in the military. Helping kick off the campaign was a gay sailor, Petty Officer Keith Meinhold, and a gay congressman, Gary Studs of Massachusetts. He called the military ban against homosexuals the last bastion of blatant discrimination in this country. This is the last remaining remotely socially acceptable form of prejudice and discrimination in the United States. Uh, the time has come for us to get rid of it, and we are now in the process of getting rid of it. Congressman Studs called on all Californians to join in this historic civil rights battle by writing to their representatives on Capitol Hill and to General Colin Powell, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Larry Brownell, San Francisco. Movie maker Joseph Mankiewicz has died. Mankiewicz was 83. 
A new book purporting to reveal the secret life of the late FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover claims he was blackmailed by mobsters. The allegation, also the topic of a PBS Frontline documentary next week, claims mobsters dogged, uh, pro- dodged prosecution on the strength of a cozy relationship with Hoover, enforced in part by compromising photos of him engaged in homosexual activity. One partygoer claimed she saw Hoover wearing a fluffy black dress, lace stockings, high heel shoes, and a black curly wig. The new book quotes an associate of mobster Meyer Lansky as saying the homosexual thing was Hoover's Achilles heel. In New York, the AP's Warren Levinson reports Lansky's biographer is not so sure. A new J. Edgar Hoover biography quotes Seymour Pollock, identified as an associate of mobster Meyer Lansky, is saying Lansky blackmailed the FBI director with photos showing him engaged in homosexual activity. But Lansky's biographer, Robert Lacey, says he doubts it. I've never heard of Seymour Pollock. Um, when I was writing my book about Meyer Lansky, it took me, what, four or five years of full-time research, I came across all sorts of weird characters who claimed to be his associates and weren't, in fact, Lacey says he heard the picture story, too, but couldn't verify it. And he says far from going easy on Lansky, the evidence indicates Hoover made Lansky a target out of all proportion to his importance as a criminal. Warren Levinson, AP Network News, New York. President Clinton makes his first White House radio address in the morning. The five-minute chat will focus on the economy. I'm Larry Brown, AP Network News. In the beginning, Louis Armstrong, and he preferred Louis, not Louis. And then Roy Eldridge... And then Dizzy Gillespie. Then Clifford Brown and Fats Navarro and Miles and Freddie Hubbard and Lee Morgan. Winton Marsalis, Wallace Roney, Roy Hargrove. But in the beginning, it was Louis Armstrong. And smack dab in the middle, it was John Burke's Gillespie. And I don't know if he preferred Burke's or Dizzy. From WYMS, Burks.
Angel City was written and arranged by Gil Fuller, specifically for John Burke's Gillespie and the Monterey Jazz Festival Orchestra. And as new as the chart sounded, the recording was made back in the fall of 1965, attesting to the fact that not only was Dizzy Gillespie always ahead of his time, so also was the arranger Gil Fuller. Angel City. Dizzy with the Monterey Jazz Festival Orchestra in 1965. A reminder, all of the recordings played on this program are available in the cellar. 2.15 the time, 15 minutes after 2 o'clock in the morning. This is the dark side.
Oscar, of course. In the heart of the Black Forest in Germany. And Sandy's Blues, Oscar, of course. Sam Jones, the bass player. Bobby Durham, the drummer. Oscar, of course. And Sandy's Blues, vintage 1968. 25 minutes after 2 o'clock in the morning. This is Burke's
sounded to me like a group of cats just hanging out and having a good time. Gil Fuller's Bees That Way, featuring a conversation between John Burke's Gillespie and Harry Edison, Dizzy Gillespie, of course, and Sweets Edison. Bees That Way. John Burke's Gillespie and the Monterey Jazz Festival Orchestra, the autumn of 1965. Back in the late 1940s, when Gillespie first organized his big band, Walter Gill Fuller was on hand to do arrangements then and continued on through the 60s. And those compositions and charts done in 48 and 49 sound just as modern today as those charts and tunes written in 1965. Gillespie far ahead of his time, Walter Gill Fuller far ahead of his time. Just a smidgen or two now after 30 minutes after 2 o'clock. It's the suggestion of Neil Chendick that you drive with caution this morning. You see, his life may depend on it. A message of safety from Neil Chendick and from WYMS, your Milwaukee Public Schools radio station, swinging from the heart of the city.
published an old manuscript featuring the tenor saxophones of Al Cohn and Spike Robinson. Richard Wyans, the piano player, Steve Lespina, the bass player, and Akita Tana, the drummer. Just an old manuscript. Written by Don Redman several decades ago. And I recall a wonderful recording featuring Clark Terry and Bob Brookmeyer of Just an Old Manuscript. We've been listening to Al Cohn and Spike Robinson. And not so incidentally, Spike Robinson will perform tonight, Saturday night, at the estate. And this afternoon, this Saturday afternoon, this afternoon at 12.30, Spike Robinson will be on hand in the cellar, in the jazz cellar. Shaking hands, sipping coffee, and just being an all-around good guy. That's today, Saturday, this afternoon at 12.30, Spike Robinson in the jazz cellar. Sixteen and a half minutes in front of three o'clock in the morning. As I have said many, many times, there is no best. There are only favorites. You have your favorites. I have mine. And when a musician becomes everybody's favorite, or just about everybody's favorite, he or she achieves a kind of best status. But in point of fact, there is no best. There is no way to determine best. Determining favorites is easy. Ellington said once, if you like it, it's good. If you don't, it's bad. Again, there is no best. But this is Oscar.
As I said, there is no best. But if there were a best, well. Oscar, of course, and a 1968 recording of Little Girl Blue. If there were a best, Never mind. It's nine minutes in front of three. Listening to Bill Evans' recordings, I always was struck by his his uh, attempts to conquer the instrument. He never stopped attempting to conquer the instrument. But when I listen to Oscar's recordings, I listen to a man in full control of the instrument. A man who has conquered and has taken the spoils. I'm not suggesting that Bill Evans did not conquer the instrument and Oscar did. I'm simply suggesting that it sounded as if Evans was still attempting to conquer. And it sounds as if Oscar has been victorious. Image, impression, is all. There is no best. Seven and one half minutes in front of three.